0: Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. As I'm recording this today, it is May 5th, 2022, and it is cold and raining outside here in scenic Bell Ohio. (laughs) And I guess by this time of year, my hope is almost always that we will be Beyond the tumultuous time of seasonal changes, right March you expect to come in like a lion and go out like a lamb. You expect kind of this crossover period but by the end of late April and into May, my hope is always that the weather has decided what it wants to do, and it's moving forward. But as we know, that's not always the case. uh The seasonal change isn't as simple as flipping a switch uh the world decides what it's going to do the weather decides what it's going to do and there's really not much that we can do to make it act differently that doesn't mean it's not difficult doesn't mean it doesn't drive my sinuses nuts it it doesn't mean it makes it hard to make doesn't make it hard to make plans because it does it becomes a real challenge at times or at least can feel that way and I think in our life too we can have seasonal changes times that are uh, difficult for us life is filled with seasonal changes people move in and out of our lives sometimes because um, they move on to the next life right and, and that's just the reality of that season sometimes it's because someone comes into our lives for a time while we are working a certain job or living in a certain part of the country and then when we move or they move that season changes Sometimes the season changes when uh, parents, when when your kids grow up and they, they mature and they move out of the house. That's what we hope for, right? We hope they're going to grow up and be contributing members to society and go make a difference in the world around them. That's what we're hoping for. And yet, when it actually happens, it can be quite the scary change, right? It can feel very much like things are awry and it can drive us, quite frankly, Crazy sometimes. It can be emotionally trying, far more emotionally trying than the weather. The weather is what it is. Unless you're a farmer, then it can be flat out upsetting. This week, we're going to be in week three of our series called Faith During Faithlessness as we um, walk through the book of Second Kings. We're taking a look at several kings and some prophets and the roles that they played in the building and the fall of God's kingdom of God's people um, his people Israel and Judah those those tribes that made up what would be those two nations and at this time in our story there are two distinct nations Israel being the northern kingdom and Judah being the southern this week we're going to look at Joash Joash before we get started is he is the youngest king to ever be appointed in Israel or Judah in any of God's kingdoms and we're going to read about that in just a second Joash is a king in Judah, and if you remember um, from the very beginning, we said that uh, there wasn't a king in Judah that was considered good, right? and and that's going to be interesting because as we first read today's text, you're going to hear him described as good, but something also changes along the way, and it doesn't quite end that way, and I think that's the tragedy of it all is that he was on the right path, he was moving the right direction, doing all the things that God had called him to do, and somewhere along the way he lost his way. And we're going to see what we can learn from his experience, because one of the reasons the Bible is written as it is, is so we will learn from the mistakes that other people have made, and we will not find ourselves in similar predicaments down the road. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings Chapter 11, we're going to read the very last verse of chapter 11, and then we're going to go through chapter 12, verse 5. And if you wonder why it's divided that way, um, great question. Um, biblical translators a thousand years ago were doing their best to try and and divide chapters where they were because those divisions are not in the original manuscripts, and I'm sure they did their best. There are places where they just you, you leave your head scratching going, I can't believe they divided it there. This is one of those places. So 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 21 through 12, verse 5. I'm reading out of the CSB and it says this. Joash was seven years old when he became king. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah, and she was from Beersheba. And throughout the time, the priest Jehoiada instructed him, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. Yet the high places were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. And then Joash said to the priests, all the dedicated silver brought to the Lord's temple, census silver, silver from vows, and all silver from voluntarily given to the Lord's temple, each priest is to take it from his assessor and repair whatever damage is found in the temple. Did you catch that rare statement for a king of Judah? Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. That's not a phrase you hear often with any king of any of God's tribes, but even more so in the kingdom of Judah. Seven years old when he's made king. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being made king at seven years old? Can you imagine sitting there at the coronation going, you're going to make that guy the king? He's a kid, right? <laughs> I, he may not, He can't even make his own breakfast. Or something. <laughs> and we're making him king? That just doesn't make a lot of sense. But I have to remember, as I read things like this, I have to remember God's ways are greater than my ways. That maybe it isn't the decision I, wouldn't have, I would have made, but God had a reason. And it's something that he'd been planning, plans that he had put into motion years earlier. If we were to read a little earlier in 2 Kings 11, we see the mentioning of Jehu. We read about Jehu last week, right? Who was tasked with not an enviable task, right? Wiping out the entire family of Ahab, him and all of his descendants, and to kind of blot out or remove this tumor from the people of God. Well, Joash happens to be from the offspring of Ahab. He is one of the few that actually got away. Enter uh, King Azahiah, who was king of Judah. If you remember also, Jehu had to, um, was one of the people that Jehu had to remove or, or kill, frankly. Um, he was killed, and when he was killed, his mother, Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezreel, right? So Azahiah was their grandson. Jehu was taking him out. Athaliah, hmm the mother of Azahiah, I know it's a lot of A's, <laughs> was also one of Ahab's offspring that Jehu was unable to get to. And when he was unable to get to her, she didn't run for her life, she didn't hide. She saw it as an opportunity to grab power. In fact, at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 11 in verse one, it says that when Athaliah, Azahiah's mother, saw that her son was dead, because Jehu had done that, she proceeded, check this, to annihilate all the royal heirs. Her goal was to take out any competition, anyone who would have fought her or contested her asc- asc- ascension to the head of the kingdom. But there was one that lived. That one was Joash. If we keep reading in verse two of chapter eleven, verses two and three, it says, Jehoshaphat, who was King Jehoram's daughter and Azahiah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, of Azahiah, from the, among the king's sons who were being killed, and put them, and and the one who nursed him in a bedroom, and so he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. Joash was in hiding in her lord in his lord's temple, for six years while Athaliah." reigned over the land so he is a child a child that is saved from certain destruction a child that is hidden in a temple for years so he spends even before the time he's anointed king the kid's not had a normal childhood right there's been something different about his life from the very beginning and he is clearly set aside for a purpose But again, I say to myself, child, are you kidding me? And then I remember things like Jesus saying in Matthew 18 that truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like one of these children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, right? That's so the idea is there is that it is someone who humbles themselves and is eager to learn and willingness has a willingness to dream about what is possible in God's name, right? And he says, this is how we're supposed to approach God. So maybe, maybe this is what Joash brings to the table, right? This kind of humility, this willingness to learn because I don't know about you, but the older I get, the harder it is for me me to be willing to learn i start to think i got it figured out god's usually pretty good about reminding me i don't but but as a child you're eager to absorb to soak up like a sponge everything you can and similarly jesus calls on his disciples to do that and and joash i believe is this is what he brought to the table he listened and and when he was eagerly trying to chase after whatever he was absorbing, the things of God, he learned. He learned and he listened and he did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. He accomplished much in the Lord's name. He had along his side Jehoiada. Jehoiada is the priest of the time. It's said here that Jehoiada instructed him. We see that during his time, if we were to read a little further, we see that he restored the Lord's temple. He dedicated all the offerings to it. In fact, a little further down, it says it says, Hey, the priests weren't moving fast enough. He waited twenty-three years. It's pretty patient, actually. The priests weren't moving fast enough in rebuilding or restoring this temple. And and so he calls them in and he goes, guys, uh, we've been at this for quite a long time now. Can we please? And so he, takes, he actually takes the money and the, and the control out of the priest's hands and put it directly in the craftsman's hands and says... All right, you people are doing the work. We're going to pay you directly. Let's get the work done. And so he ruffles feathers for the sake of rebuilding God's temple and the sake of completing the mission that God has for him. It's an unwavering sense of purpose. He walked with the Lord. He listened to Jehoiada and and much was accomplished. That is until something changed. Did you catch the hint in verse 2? In verse 2, the hint was this. Throughout the time that the priest Jehoiada instructed him, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. Throughout the time that Jehoiada instructed him. But when Jehoiada was no longer there to instruct him, things changed. We're actually going to go over to Second Chronicles chapter 24 to see what happened afterwards. Not because the story is markedly different. It's just much clearer. Um, and really tells the same story, but lines it up very, very easily and very credibly, what happened here and what went wrong. So if you would, turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 24. Chapter 24, we're going to read verses 15 through 19. It says this, Jehoiada died when he was old and full of days. He was 130 years old at his death. He was buried in the city of David with the kings because he had done what was good in Israel with respect to God and his temple. However, after Jehoiada died, died, the rulers of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and served the Asherah poles and the idols. So there was wrath against Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Nevertheless, he sent them prophets to bring them back to the Lord, and they admonished them, but the people would not listen. So what happened there? What happened? Proverbs twenty-two six tells us that if you raise up a child in the way of the Lord, In his maturity, in his old age, he will not depart from it. And clearly, Joash did, almost immediately after Jehoiada dies. The truth is, he had 30 years plus, at least that, that we can discern just from a simple reading of the text. At least 30 years of walking alongside Jehoiada Jehoiada, and learning learning what it meant to follow God. Jehoiada, the truth is, protected him from the very beginning. We read that, right? He's the one who kept him safe in the temple until it was time for him to move forward. He's the one who actually, if we continue to read through 2 Kings, he's the one who garnered all the support and rallied all the troops and the people and covenanted covenanted with them to make this transition possible from Athaliah to Joash. He's the one who advised him and taught him and led him and showed him what it meant to be focused on the things of God. 30 years of being raised, raised up so that when he would grow up and be on his own, change that season into adulthood, he would be able to fly, right? He would be able to go where God wanted him to go and would follow God's lead, and yet he didn't. What happened? What happened is likely that the season changed in Joash's life. Jehoiada moved on, as it happens. And jo- Joash had not yet learned for himself how to walk in his faith in this new time. He hadn't learned and done for himself. And I think that's an important part of maturity, right? As our kids grow up and we, we send them upon their way, they have learned to do some things themselves. Now, they may still call you and say, okay, um, why do I have to wash whites and colors separately? Which, by the way, I'm not sure you do, but that's a whole other discussion, <laughs> right? Or they may call you and say, how do I cook this or that or how do i deal with this bill or that bill when a new situation comes into their lives or but the truth is you, you try to equip them so that as they move on and as they mature they were, they are able to at least get off the ground with some basic skills and abilities and knowledge and you hope that that will continue to manifest itself in fact you're not some, as much hoping you've taught them everything they need to know as you're taught, that you've taught them that they need to learn, continuously need to learn and grow as they grow older, and they will be fine because we had to learn too. But Joash doesn't seem to have those tools and doesn't seem to understand the importance of owning his faith for himself, it being his and it driving him forward. He's ill equipped. And I gotta say, it doesn't seem like it was for lack of. Jehoiah does trying, and his mentorship or a lack of time with him, which brings us to the first point that we can learn from Joash's experience. Because remember, God writes all this stuff down so we can learn from it, right? The first is this: the passage of time alone won't produce a mature faith. Simply being in in the in his case, worshiping God through the temple for thirty years, watching all of those things happen won't breed a mature faith for a christian simply simply saying i've been part of a church for 30 years doesn't naturally mean that we are more mature in our faith we'd like to believe we are but it doesn't just happen by accident and it doesn't just happen simply because time has passed and i've been doing it for a while you know it's as i said before it's springtime here it's planting season and a number of our farmers it's very wet in fact it's raining right now as we speak um can't get their crops in the ground and and they're chomping at the bit a little bit right because this is the time that they should be doing it now they've been preparing the soil they've been tilling things and fertilizing trust me they've been fertilizing i walk out the back door on certain days and you're like oh it's fertilizer day can't miss it but so they're fertilizing the ground they're helping it to get ready hoping for the opportunity to put their plants in the ground and get them going and the truth is though they do all this work up front because once they get them in the ground a huge section of what happens after that is out of their control they don't control the rain they don't control the sunshine they don't control the temperatures and so they're not able to manipulate or impact those things but that doesn't mean they're without ability to impact their crops, even as they go through the growing season. Much of it is up to God, but not all of it. There's still a lot to do throughout the year. That might be side dressing the the corn or the beans, or it might be controlling the bugs and the weeds with applications of of chemicals or materials that that would cause that or that would keep them away. It might be equipment maintenance so that When the anticipated harvest comes in, they're ready to go and ready to use that equipment. They don't just take off in the summer. They don't put the plants in the ground, take off for the summer and say, I'll see you in three months because there is work to do along the way. They know that in order to get a vibrant, powerful crop, a great crop, there is work of their own to do along the way. They have to trust God for his part, but they've got their part to do too. Farmers could certainly choose not to do those things but it would most certainly stunt the crop's yield and in our faith it's the same way we can choose not to do the things that god wants us to do along the way not to do our part but it will affect the yield of our faith it will stunt our growth and it will stunt our capacity to mature in our faith joash had a 30 year plus growing season we know that we know that even a simple reading of the text indicates that Jehoiada was with him for over 30 years, over 30 years of protecting him, teaching him, helping him learn and grow. We talked about that. Jehoiada tilting or tilling the soil and fertilizing it and, and controlling the bugs and the weeds. And yet, still, as soon as Jehoiada is gone and he has watched, Joash has watched all of this, he can't do it himself. Joash never really matured into taking responsibility for his own faith, he led Jehoiada do the work, do the heavy lifting for him. And as soon as Jehoiada died, the bugs and the weeds took over because Joash hadn't learned. That's when those kings just showed up as, at his door and whispered a few wonderful things into his ear and, and convinced him quickly that maybe he didn't need to follow the Lord so closely anymore. And he didn't have the tools or the strength or the understanding of faith, the maturity he needed to make his own decision. He was still being moved back and forth too much by the opinions of others. So how do, it begs a question, how do we tell if we have an immature faith? Because as I said before, alluded to, you know, I could walk with God for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That doesn't guarantee that my faith has actually grown over that time period. Paul struggled, throughout the New Testament with a number of churches that just refused to grow up, going so far as to, to, to berate one and say, look, you know, you, you're on spiritual milk, right? I'm feeding you a bottle. <laughs> but you should by now be eating solid food. You should be eating meat. And I, I would love to be giving you that, but I can't because you haven't grown yet. This is not just a Joe Ash problem or a New Testament problem. This is a human problem that sometimes we can begin to take for granted what we have gained in our faith in Christ and not recognize that our response calls us to do more, not because we can earn it, earn better salvation, but because he's asked us to do so for our own sakes. And if we're obedient to him, we will. So what are some signs that maybe I might be immature in my faith? The first one I have, I have a list written down. The first one is this, I still fear man more than I fear God. If we had to dial in on the primary reason why we don't share the gospel, why we don't evangelize, why we don't tell others about who Jesus is, it's because we fear the opinion that might evolve of people, that people have of us might evolve instead of fearing the Lord. And and fearing, fearing the Lord is really about understanding that We need to obey him if he is really our Lord and our God and our master. And Jesus goes so far as to tell his disciples, hey, why are you worried about physical harm when you should be worried about what the God of the universe that holds in his hands all of your existence for all of eternity? Why aren't you worried about what he thinks over and above what the people of the world think about you? And yet, that often drives us. We are not willing to do the things we need to do because we are afraid of what people will think or afraid of the outcomes that might occur. I'm really glad Jesus wasn't afraid of that. The second thing, how do I know if my faith is immature or not? Um, I'm still quick to anger. If I'm somebody who gets mad very, very fast and doesn't seem to have patience when things don't go my way, um, that may be an immaturity challenge, an indicator that we are not where we hoped we would be, even after a long time knowing God. Maybe I'm still sensitive to correction. If we've, if I've, if I've learned anything, because I'm a little slow in f- in following God, is I have to get used to the fact that I am not going to be perfect this side of heaven, and that correction is necessary. Um, he is always working to remind me that I need to grow more, and he, sometimes he does it through other people. Some oftentimes he does it through his word. Uh, sometimes he does it with literally the Holy Spirit kind of whispering in my ear, dude, that's not the right idea. That's not the right plan. That's not the direction you should go. You need to change. You need to correct. Maybe you need to repent along the way. But if we fight that, if I fight that correction at every turn, that might be an indicator that I have not yet matured to the point where I recognize I need it. Right? I think I know better two-year-olds often think they know better, and sometimes I do too. That's a mistake. I might be immature in my faith if I don't love my neighbor, if I don't recognize that God desires for them what he has offered me as well, and that's salvation. I might be, I might be immature in my faith if I don't use my spiritual gifts for the kingdom. Right? If I'm more, more interested in using the gifts that God has given me with speaking or with numbers or with administration or with shepherding others, if I'm more interested in using it for my own gains than for the gains of the kingdom, maybe I'm immature because my heart is not yet lined up with the things of God. It could be I'm immature in my faith if I harbor bitterness, if I hold a grudge and can't let it go. God has let go of the grudge. He could have readily, easily held against humanity. By simply saying, I'm sending my son to die on a cross, come to me. Shouldn't I be able to do the same? I might be spiritually immature if I don't practice the spiritual disciplines. Jesus says, when you pray and when you fast in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't say if you pray and if you fast. Prayer, fasting, meditation, uh, silence. These are things that Jesus demonstrated help us grow closer to God. But I think we do a pretty good job sometimes of convincing ourselves we don't need them, that somehow we can grow closer without them. And we're not following the example he has set. If we are maturing in our faith, we recognize that these things are essential. Because Jesus says they are should be reason number one. But because I've practiced them, they're actually making a difference in my spiritual life. I might be immature in my faith if I'm not making disciples. If I'm not investing in others to help them grow in their walk, um, a, a, as a parent, uh, you can't take your child. You can't help your child mature if you're not mature, right? The same thing with disciples. If you cannot or are not able to find yourself in a position where you you're able to make disciples or willing to to pour into people, it could be because you're not sure you're grown up yet yourself. These are all really, really hard things and things that none of us ever want to hear, but sometimes we need to. We need to recognize that part of growing in Christ means that we recognize we are always growing and we have to work to grow. We have to invest and be intentional about growing. Joe Ash found this out after the seasons had changed. We hope not to. The second thing is association alone won't produce an enduring faith. It's a difference between a spectator and an athlete, right? I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm connected to them. I have Ohio State stickers and jackets and hats and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I cheer and get excited when they win. And I get upset when they lose. And, But I'm not the athlete on the field, I'm not the one putting in the work and learning the skills. If you chucked me out on a football field today, all I could tell you is I'm an Ohio State fan. I could not play linebacker. Well, I could, but it would be ugly and it wouldn't last long, right? And people would get hurt, most noticeably me. It'd be very bad (laughs) because I'm not an athlete, right? I'm not putting in the work. I'm not putting in the practice, but I am associated with the team or at least I associate myself with the team because I'm a fan. They're not the same level. And the truth is, God doesn't call us to be his fans. He calls us to be athletes, training for the sake of his kingdom, making a difference in his kingdom. Earlier in our text, in Chronicles, in in verse 16, we see that when Jehoiada's season ends, he is buried as most of us are, but it says something really interesting. It says in verse 16, he was buried in the city of David with the kings because he had done what was good in Israel with respect to God and his temple. Now, a little further down in Chronicles in verse 26, 10 verses later, we see that Joash's season comes to an end. Listen to the difference in the words. It says, so he died and they buried him in the city of David. So far sounds pretty good. Sounds very similar, but. Check this. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. There's a difference here in what happened. Jehoiada was elevated out of his status for finishing the race, for being an athlete, for training hard and sticking to it, and doing what God is calling him to do. And he rested, was buried next to the kings. That is an honored place to be. But Joash was not. And the author of Chronicles makes it a point to say so, that actually his status was reduced. Hence, that's why we get to the end of the period of the kings and we find out that Judah did not have one great king because as great as Joash started out, he did not end well. He did not finish well. Jehoiada was an athlete. A spiritual athlete, a faith athlete, he had the endurance necessary to finish well. Joe Ash was a fan, and did not. And their their seasons, their races ended very differently. How can I determine if I have an enduring faith um, before I need it to be enduring? Right. Uh, I would ask myself this: Am I a watcher or a participant? in the kingdom of God, in what God is doing. Spectators come to watch and say, I'm part of it, that's great, I'm awesome, I'm associated with these people because I like these people. Um, or I'm associated with Jesus because I like Jesus and I wanna go to heaven. But there's a difference between being associated with Jesus as a spectator coming to watch what God does. And there are times when you just have to do, sit on watch what God does. But an athlete, an athlete shows up not to watch, but to make a difference to make a difference in spreading the gospel, to make a difference in the time of worship, to make a difference in the work of the kingdom, helping others in the community and loving neighbors and lifting one another up and in making disciples. Spectators come to watch. Athletes, the ones that want to endure, that want to run the race to the end, they show up to make a difference. It's no longer about what the Lord gives them. It's about the Lord has given me everything I need. I'm in, right? I'm running this race with you. What can I do? So theologian Kevin Young gives us, we're going to end with this, gives us four four questions we need to answer, right? To address in order to have an enduring faith that we have to be honest with ourselves about if we're going to move forward. The first one is this, is my faith my own? Is it an inherited faith or a matured faith? where I know what I believe and why I believe it and that I take ownership for. I don't have to have somebody get me up and make me go to church. I want to go to church. I don't have to have somebody make me read the Bible because I want to read the Bible. There's a difference there, right? As a as a child, um, if you're growing up in the church, as so many of our people do or did, um, y- you believe a lot of what your parents tell you to believe, Right. And there comes a time I see the the switch flip with teenagers all the time in about the 10th or 11th grade, usually 11th grade, where they start to go, Is this, am I doing this because mom and dad wanted me to? Is this their faith I'm living on? Or is this mine? And they have to make a choice. They have to say, Is this faith mine? Am I maturing in it? Am I gaining the tools I need to run with it? And so that it will endure and carry in my life throughout this season, and throughout the end of my season here on earth. The next question is, am I surrounding myself with people who will run with me to all the way to the finish line? We see the difference here between Joash with Jehoiada and without Jehoiada. Joash did not see the importance of saying, if this season has ended, if my time with Jehoiada has ended, I need to find those around me that are also pursuing God and chasing God. And I need to connect with them, to link up with them, to play on that team. Because that's God's team. That's where I want to go. Instead, he listens immediately to the other lords, the other other kings, I guess, minor kings, but the other lords of their areas and says, Hey, these people are pretty cool. I will latch on with them. They weren't running anywhere near God's direction. And neither was he after that. Third, am I praying for conviction of sin? Remember, um, we talked about this earlier. One of the things we have to recognize as followers of God is that we need correction. We are broken. We are not perfect at all, and and so we have to be willing to see the blind spots. Because when it when it comes down to it, we create blind spots. We don't. We try very hard not to see the bad. And there's. Plenty of good from within us. God breathed his life into us. His spirit is here. There's some good there, but there's also some bad. And getting rid of the bad, excising that, removing that, is critical to us growing up with a healthy, vibrant, enduring, mature faith. We have to be willing to ask God to show us he will, but oftentimes we just avoid doing it because it's uncomfortable. Number four, final question. Am I quick to recall God's mercy and slow to remember my own triumphs? The better we are at remembering who God is and forgetting myself, the more I'm transformed into his image and the more likely it will be that I will finish well, that I will run the race well. If you have found yourself in a place where you are not running the race well, where it feels far too hard, Or it feels like you've lost your way, your seasons have changed, and you're longing and pining and wondering why you don't have that connection to God you once had. We would love to help you find it again. Uh, All you have to do is shoot me an email, shoot me a text if you have my phone number. Let me know. Let us know. We have people here who want to help you come to know the Lord. And want to help you rekindle that fire in your relationship and build a faith that is mature, a faith that is strong, a faith that is enduring, and a faith that will carry you, not just through the end of your life, but will bear fruit in lives for generations to come and will carry you into and through eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.